This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome listeners to this uh, special podcast series with Dr. Jay Allen. Welcome Jay to the show on the Praxa Learning Teams. I am so glad to be here today. Yeah, look, it's hard to believe, but this is going to be our 21st recording. Now, I don't know if 21 has uh, significance in the US market, but down this neck of the woods, it's a big time to celebrate. Hey, we can start celebrating now. I thought you were going to start off by saying this is our 21st time trying to start this thing. I was like, I'm not sure if it's been that high. No, exactly, exactly. And I think I think you said to me originally, how many podcasts did you have to get through before you know you're going to make it? Was it fake? Well, I normally, I, I normally tell people 13 is, is normally the cut. Most people don't make it past episode 13. So congratulations, you are now in part of the new frontier. Wow, 21, 21 episodes. And, and of course, we'll, we'll have a massive get together for the 100th, because by then, hopefully we'll be able to travel. Well, it depends on how frequently you start actually pumping these things out. If you start going next week, you're going to start doing one a day, then we not, might not hit it that quick. Exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm still keen to keep it weekly. <laughs> <laughs> so how, what have you experienced so far? Have you liked it? Have you liked going through the process? Was it a little bit more involved in what you originally thought? Uh, look, it was, there, there were certainly some parts of it which were uh, much better than we ever expected. And there are other parts which were much harder. And I think, you know, from my, from my perspective, uh, post-production has really been straightforward. Uh, I think the issue here is um, some of the recording issues that you encounter with some of this technology is uh, quite fascinating on, mm -hmm. on a good day and that. Uh, and just, you know, coordinating people and, and, and uh, make, making sure that everyone stays on track has been really, has been really, really useful. Um, but COVID uh, has, has certainly uh, made having these types of things become more of the norm. Absolutely. Pre-COVID, there would have been a lot of fixation on people's audio level quality. And those <laughs> So hold on, are you saying the standards have went down because of COVID? <laughs> I think everyone's used to um, poor quality <clears throat> when it comes to video calls and, and, and video use in, in that way. So, so as you see this, then, do you think that this has advanced quite a bit then because of COVID? Do you look at it that we're more, we're willing to accept different things because we don't have very high expectations. We're not expecting broadcast quality. We're not expecting to be the next CNN, quote unquote, from like here in the U.S. or something along those lines. Yeah, look, and, and I think, I mean, both of us make, you know, good effort to, um, to do, use some interesting backgrounds and have some decent <laughs> lighting and some decent quality. But um, try. <laughs> people slapping on a, uh, a headset doing a Britney Spears, um, <laughs> that's about their limit. So, I mean, I can, I, can put a, I can put on a pair of headset, a headset on. I mean, but let's take a look at your background here at the moment. You're definitely like in Santa's workshop or something. Look, I am. And, and look, it's interesting you mention that because I, I got called in to run a conductor learning team because um, <laughs> unfortunately a, um, an elf got stuck in a certain type of uh, piece of equipment. And um, the supervising team here uh, weren't particularly happy. And, um, you know, um, the blame culture set in, Jay, sadly. 
because they're under direct pressure because December 25th is coming up quite quickly. So is the elf okay for the most part after being stuck? Well, look, um, the, the, the good news is they live forever. And um, the good news is that you can still tie a ribbon with one hand. So... <laughs> I hope the elf takes that kindly then. Absolutely, because we've, we've put him into a more productive role going forward. So he's, <laughs> he's going to move into quality control. Oh, all good times. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is, um, as this uh, podcast goes to um, air, we'll be uh, right on the 23rd of, of December. So Santa will be powering up a sleigh and get ready to uh, cover the world and uh, obviously try and avoid a lot of the COVID-19 type issues. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, it's been mind-boggling to me because I know that this is your summer season. And I can't fathom, fathom having Christmas, at least because I've been here in the States for such a long time, having Christmas in the middle of the summer. Like, it, that just doesn't click, which I would imagine that, from your point of view, it probably just doesn't make sense the other way around either. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I enjoy, so every every few years we actually try and change hemispheres to mm -hmm. enjoy what Christmas is like when it's cold. Um, because it is different. Um, but the fact is we still have to have ham, we still have to have turkey. <laughs> um, we do all those things, except except um, with us, you don't get to lie down with a blanket on you uh, 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 drinking eggnog. You actually have to be outside finding in the shade. I don't think anybody should drink eggnog, period, because that stuff is just not very good, but whatever. I mean, to each their own. It's, it's not a thing we do down here. <laughs> okay. Probably no, it's here. It's like hot chocolate, like peppermint bark, that kind of stuff. Like, that's a big deal. Like, and I just can't imagine doing that, of course, in the middle of the summer. But, of course, things are different there than what they are here. Oh, they are. They are. And um, uh, once again, uh, uh, thank, thanks to the... Um, sort of changing weather conditions, we're, we're expecting a, a potential um, cyclone to come down from the islands and oh. a, wet, <laughs> a wet time over Christmas. But let's see what happens. Just a special ad to end, to end the year with a, with a nice little cap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and once again, being positioned where we are, we either get um, a southerly coming up from the pole where things can get quite cool, or we can get a tropical storm coming down where it's a bit more like Miami, where, where you might be sitting in sort of 90% humidity. <laughs> yep, that's always fun. Yeah, it is. So it's a good time down here. It's a good time. But look, and, and obviously from, from our point of view, um, we want to thank you, Jay, for making all this happen with us. Because it was oh, so well, uh, uh, I mean, I appreciate you saying thank you, but let's just be realistic. You have a, you and Glennis and the other brand have some messaging that's so important that needs to be shared among the world. I mean, let's just be realistic. It's not just narrowed down to the world of safety or the world of operations. It should be heard across the board. Um, so I, I mean, I appreciate you reaching out and us even having the conversation on getting this thing started. And I think from our point of view, um, like everything else, we've learned a lot during this process as well. And I'm, I'm really excited about how 2021 is looking to shape up. Um, I, I think there's a lot more optimism out there. And I think that there's going to be a, a lot more focus in 2021 about understanding the value of being a learning organization. I, I think we might see some change in this whole conversation that's being had between Safety 1 and Safety 2. 
that 2021 is not the time to be diversive in terms of talking about safety as being uh, two different arenas. And I think, you know, uh, my call, my prediction for 2021 is that there'll be a lot more focus from organisations about understanding what value does safety bring to the organisation. And it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because if you think, let's kind of go back a year ago and let's go back into the conversation of safety inside of organizations. You know, it was still the bad word. It was a derogatory term when most people mentioned it, something has went wrong. And now we're looking a year now from 19 to 20, of course, and now how things have changed on how those doors are opening up in regards that we want to see what the safety department has to say. We want to have a better understanding on how this all ties into the culture. If you would have told me this a year, that in a year into the future, that this would be the conversation we were having now where people are more acceptable of these things that related to safety and how it partakes into the culture, I would have been like, that's the planet I want to live on. But definitely I didn't think it would be on this version on how it's actually working out. But as you see this, that you see that the future will change in that, I feel that there's been a lot of conversations where people have this false expectation that when 2020 is done, that 2021 will start and everything will be the world of difference. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer, of course, but I also want to have realistic conversations with people that I think that this is going to be such a great launching pad on getting us to where this next level of safety is going to be. And maybe that word is going to go away because it's not going to be so much of your culture in regards of your, or the safety culture, where the, where the safety will actually be part of the culture of the overall organization. And they're becoming these learning organizations. What do you think about that? Okay, so because learning is key. Learning is key. And if you just think about what we've had to deal with the pandemic, we've had, um, at, a, at an individual level, we've had people that have taken learnings from, from COVID-19 and have adapted and then we've had groups of people that have uh, remained in that uh, lovely bucket of sand. Hey, why did you look away from the camera instead of looking directly at me when you said that? Are you trying to say something about the U.S. here? I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, look, I mean, um, you know, once again, it's a really interesting risk management um, opportunity that's occurred. And every country has done things differently. And even those countries that did something quite radical are now actually paying the price. Because the thing about viruses, they don't understand our rules, our policies, our, our written statements. They don't behave that way. And, and we've certainly seen uh, a really interesting, it'd be really interesting to have a conversation with a human factors person about COVID-19. Oh, absolutely. Maybe that's, maybe that's your next episode. Who knows? Yeah, it will be a really interesting episode. But I think what I'm most proud of is, is actually allowing um, or, or trying to have that broader conversation that learning team stands alone. That Todd's absolute brilliant work with learning teams and HOP, that learning teams can stand by itself. Well, and that's been the interesting part because you brought the, I mean, let's just be realistic. You looked at the, at the work that Todd had done and you brought this to market as a standalone where a lot of people didn't look at it that way. And it was a concept that you brought into market. And it was, your book is so detailed on how to go about it that if, I feel based on, of course, reading the thing several times that you can actually grab the book and know what to do. It's not where you read something and go, well, in theory, this sounds good. It was more of 
here's the starter. I'm still waiting to see what's going to happen next, but it was definitely a starting point on where you can go and here's the path that you should go down. So what is the group thinking? And I almost feel like I'm, I'm switching the script here, so I apologize okay. to, an extent, uh, to an extent, of course. Um, but what do you think what do you think is going to happen next like wh what are you looking at as you're bringing this to market i mean you brought this to the market it's been out for several months now is it doing what you th thought it should be doing look it is because it, it's been really interesting about some of the uh, broader conversations that are being had and and undoubtedly that the consistent message we're hearing from people is that um the, the book is that it's past that what to you know the whole sort of what the concept that the book has bridged that difference between um, what it is to how about to start the journey. And, and I think that's been the consistent feedback from people is that um, we've really focused on, on making learning teams more transparent. That previously people felt it was like an art and that they really need to, they really need to be a great artist to be able to perform that art. And well, I can I can almost see the point there because there is an art to it. I mean, and you kind of develop that as you go down the path. But I mean, you really give people the entry point of here you go, and it's, it doesn't leave you clueless. And let me let me explain what I mean. There, there has been books that I have left or that I have read where I will finish the book and I go, did I get like the short end of the stick? Did I get the abridged version? And that's not where I felt, or that's not what I felt with yours. But you did something that was kind of interesting that a lot of people don't go to, where you gave them a community of practice as well, where they could actually go and find out some more information if they wanted to do so. So you, I almost look like this is very strategic on how you set it up. But then at the same time, I look at it and go, were you thinking about this the whole time or was this kind of just part of the development as you went through? Uh, the objective, uh, Todd from very early on really spoke um, a lot about being generous and about giving to the community. So from very early on, we wanted to make sure that all the things that we talk about that the community can access and can make use of. So that, that was really fundamental from early on um, from, from our perspective to basically do that. And, you know, we, we see our role going forward as assisting organizations in how to embed learning teams as an everyday practice or an everyday opportunity. And, and the book really is that framework to, to learn, uh, to come from. In terms of it being an art form, um, yes, it is, a, it is an art form in terms of it's a type of skill, a type of competency. But, but what was missing is that people were left to their own devices to work out what that looked like, what that meant. And from our perspective, that really came into that whole notion of um, weaponization. And we were adamant from very early on that whatever we did, um, we know people are going to take it and apply it in their own way. But what strategies can we put in place to try and minimize that type of weaponization from actually occurring? And that's why we really pushed hard to define what does good look like? So what does a good learning team facilitator look like? What skills do they need to do that? And then give that a person to evaluate where they're currently at. So, so let, me ask this, let me ask a strange question there, and I apologize, of course, for, <laughs> for asking so many questions. But what do you think an everyday learning team looks like? Like, 
do you see it as a replacement too, especially for somebody who's brand new into this? So this is maybe the first time they've heard about learning teams. Maybe they've heard a piece of something prior. How does an everyday learning team look from the point of view that you want to actually have this structured? Yes, yeah, so, so I think there's, there's two things. If, if we think about how learning teams have been traditionally used, they have been alternative to an intervention. They've been an alternative to an investigation. But what the learning team shows is it basically shows an accumulation of all that variability that has been occurring over a period of time. So, and we talk about it, we call it macro change. So it's no different. Um, when an event happens, the fact is that work is imagined and work is done. There's going to be a difference between those two things. And that's what really became apparent with the learning team. Except the learning team did it in a way where people felt they were part of the journey and part of the solution rather than being the problem to begin with. For us, the opportunity here was that if these things build up over time, then what can we do to understand where that comes from at its point, at its source? And how can we get those teams to self-adjust or self-improve to try and reduce that um, build-up or allow the systems to become more resilient? So at the moment, I'm right in the middle of writing a paper about this whole thing about resilience. Because it's a, it's a big word that's being used, but I don't know if people know what resilience actually means. And, and I really question whether safety systems, when I talk about safety systems, I talk about processes themselves, whether those processes actually can be resilient. Because I'm not, so what do you I'm think? not convinced yet. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, here's the thing, and this is probably part of the, that's going to get me in trouble. But we tend to repackage some of these things and put keywords that people that are kind of like the hot words of the moment. And it's not really doing the things that they're meant to do, but we use these keywords because that's what might be a, a search engine optimization. It might be something where it's kind of hot inside of the market, opposed to it actually delivering what people are saying. So when you brought up something earlier where you referenced that you would love to see this change of safety one and safety two, and really just talking about the word safety and how it's going to blend into an, organiz into an organization, I would love to see how that's going to work. And especially if we start, start taking away some of these key things that are mentioned as hot words and hot topics to be actually to bring people to quote unquote, get the attention. Because let's be realistic. There was a lot of people inside of the risk management area when COVID hit that they repackaged their materials to say that they were now COVID experts. Now, we're in December. I still don't truly know any COVID experts per se, but I'm just amazed on the amount of people that repackaged their stuff, repurposed it, resold it, but they're COVID experts. I, re I had several people reach out to me um, radio station wise where they wanted to run ads and I refused to do it because I didn't have any COVID experts and I didn't know of any COVID cleaning solutions that that worked. I mean, of course, you heard the Clorox of the world and all that other stuff that we could talk about of people dr supposedly drink stuff, but I'm sure we don't want to go down that path. But it's just amazing to me that people just repackaged and thought that that was okay. And I think that that's still what we run into, especially kind of using the term that you're using right now. Uh, and, and, and organizations want comfort. Right. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's the safety net. It's the safety blanket. I want to make sure that we are doing the right thing by our people. I don't think organizations are are malicious in any in any ways. I don't, I don't think that they're doing this just to get the hot topic out. I really think that they want to make sure that their people are making it home safe. But some of these other organizations that are in the market that are trying to sell, I don't think that it's some of the best practices out there. Now, I think that there are companies that are out there that will come up and put the plexiglass in place and you know, give the quasi view of that they're trying to help out and helping out. And there is there is an expense associated to it. But I'm talking in particular to these places that took this risk management book, hypothetically, that they had previously and repackaged it as this is how they're going to stop every kind of virus that exists because they repackage it with some key words. I think that that's wrong. Uh, well, look, I mean, history will, will prove that it's wrong, but it actually reminds me, I had this image formed in my head of um, being on the western frontier with my wagon um, selling my uh, bottle of elixir that can cure 110 things and anytime someone raises up a new ailment i'll actually change that list to make it 111 112 <laughs> well that's how it seems like a lot of the stuff is, had been occurring especially at the very beginning i mean and i'm not trying to dog any religious beliefs or anything to that extent but there was a there was a pastor here in the u.s that actually had a solution that they were selling that cured COVID-18, not 19, but 18. So they couldn't announce yet on this bottle that it cured COVID-19 because of the time that it was produced, COVID-19 didn't exist. Wow. I'm like, are you serious? Well, I'm looking forward to COVID-21. <laughs> There's a movie about to come out about COVID-23, and I'm not joking. I just saw the preview a few days ago, and I was like, wow. I mean, what are we getting to? I don't think I want to sit around and watch that. Uh, no. Well, we all have a bit of Armageddon, don't we? So let's just <laughs> move down that way. But look, I mean... Let, let, let me ask you a strange question, and I, and, I, and I want to bring this up because I want really your, your point of view. <laughs> Pardon? A strange question from Jay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> When you, when you came out with the whole thing of, of learning teams and you started bringing it into the market, you know, there was some mention of learning teams, but there wasn't all kinds of them. I mean, they weren't all over the place. But it appears that ever since you started bringing it up, making books about it, community of practice, and bringing out and really talking about it and taking these big dives into it, there's been, we'll quote, quote unquote, say other people bringing it up as well. Do you think that you had influence over the market because of that? Uh, no, pre no pressure. Well, <laughs> the short answer is we've created, um, we've taken Todd's work and we've given it a different voice and we've made it more transparent. Okay. Now, did we foresee that others would then hear that voice and say, well, let's hop on the bandwagon, then their answer was, yes, that was foreseeable. Okay. And, you know, part of the reason of actually writing that book, Jay, was to actually publish a body of work. But you have noticed that there are people out there currently that are using your book, changing some of the wording, and they're ex almost giving exactly what your book had as their own content. And I know some people get, some people get upset that I say it's reader the world and so on. And that's how it should be. But also to an extent, I understand that it's knowledge, but at least I look at it as that you should at least admit where you got the information from. 
like I like I always tell people, my first hundred episodes of of my of the Jay Allen show or the Safety FM show are my homage to Todd Conklin because it's it is my it is my love letter to Todd is really what it it consists of about how thankful I am for everything that I have learned from him. It's realistically what it is, but I don't feel that what people are doing with your content is the same. Well, look, they're, they're um, taking that commercial opportunity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. However, the reality is that once these organizations um, then come across our body of work, it doesn't put the other person in particularly good light. And it's interesting that, and I think we've had this chat previously, um, I still don't understand today why 85% of our book sales are still printed books. Don't you find that amazing when you really think about it in regard to how popular the digital market is, but you're seeing more, more stuff going on where people still want that physical portion. And I look at it as they want to write on it. And I mean that in a good way. They want to do notes, highlight, and so on. They want a resource. And I think that's, I think, and that became apparent from our point of view that um, conceptual things, they were really happy for it to be Kindle based. But if they want to take it and use it and for it to become a, a form of manual or guide or framing in terms of in the work they're doing every day, then absolutely it's that printed book is what they're wanting. So I've been quite surprised uh, about that, um, that, that variability that's actually mm-hmm. occurred. Well, what I always say, it's a lot easier to update a Kindle version because then you don't have to go and reprint everything. But hey, if people want the, the, the hard copy, I understand that as well, too. But normally, if you do updates or change anything, it's so much easier to Kindle. But hey, if you, they want version 15 of what you've updated, I understand that as well. Yeah, and, and look, and, and, and what we've been doing, uh, we've actually been doing a couple of little minor tweaks to the book over time. Um, and, and just to embed some of the community of practice content as well, just references and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've actually been trying to do a few subtle things. Um, and the, the intention, unlike um, others, is, is not to come up with um, an update to that book. We're going to evolve that book into the next level. And uh, Todd, Todd was very clear to us is that we needed to do at least three books in the series. So we're right in the guts of that second book at the moment, which we have that working title called The Field Guide to Learning Teams. But it's I, very- I hope it's trademarked because if not, somebody's going to take it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, well, I mean, it's, already, it's already in the first book that we talked about what the second book was going to be about. Oh. Um, but what's actually happened is that coming from where we're at now, that the second book is going to be much more pragmatic. It's going to be much more into the bowels and the guts of it. And what we're seeing now is more organizations wanting to share their stories with us about their learning team's journey. So I'm, I'm really um, I'm keen to, to see that. And some of the work that we're doing uh, in particular is a lot of focus around how safety can be seen as being something of value. And if safety isn't a value to organization, then it has to be waste. And if it is waste, what do we do with it? And one of our recent podcasts, we started that conversation by talking about how to evaluate waste. And once you've evaluated it, you then need to improve it or remove it. 
And, and, I think, and, the problem, and the problem is that most of the times it gets removed. Well, I, I think what's actually happened is that there's never been a desire to remove things. There has been this desire to simply build more barriers, more mitigations, more controls. Because the more things I've got listed down, surely it must be better. So if you, if you think about COVID-19, it, it's, it's, it's very similar that they talk about um, that whole concept that, that the more things you can put in place, then that risk must change. Well, I would agree if those things you're putting in place are trying to directly control the hazard. But if you're putting those things in that are trying to influence the person or the person's behaviour, then that's a crapshoot. I mean, so do you think, so do you look at it right now and go that a lot of the things that have been put in place is to influence people's behavior? Is that what you're seeing with COVID? Well, I think the, the short answer is yes. I mean, if you think about all the, me if, you, if you break these things into messaging, mm -hmm. then a lot of it is message based. I mean, masks are really important, but masks aren't there to control the virus. The masks are there to try and reduce the amount of viral load you can receive. They're an exposure based. But their ability to do that simply comes down to how they're worn, you know, how clean they are, the amount of humidity, there's a whole raft of factors. Now, do those people wearing the masks understand all those risk factors? Or they're simply just wearing a mask? I mean, just based on usage alone, I mean, one has to make that determination right away, especially because on how some are worn, depending on where you're at. Um, I mean, we can even talk about face shields if you're okay with that, that people think that it's okay in some areas, even though not keeping into effect the areas that are open around them. I look, I, I don't, once again, I don't understand it. I, I can understand it if it was a, like a secondary control, but... Mm -hmm. Um, we, we haven't had the uptake of face shields that you guys have had. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, it, it's, it's certainly been interesting from, from my point of view because we, we just don't do that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, and what do you think now with this new, I mean, and as of this week, there's been a news story that was released by the Civil Aviation Administration of China that they're actually requiring that their crew wear adult diapers as part of PPE they will not use the facilities unless it's necessary for them to not to contact the virus. What do you think? Uh, well, look, it's quite fascinating. Um, are they going to be heated diapers? <laughs> well, it, it, didn't, it didn't say, but it goes into some very extreme measures on what they're requesting for them to do. They want them to wear other PPE recommendations, um, dual layer disposable rubber gloves as part of, of what they have. They also want them to wear goggles and disposable hats if possible, in shoe coverings. And they also want them to have full equipment where they would cover their clothes as well. This is not a joke. This, I mean, and this is all can be found that's readily available. And this is coming from the Civil Aviation Administration of China. And, and their recommendations. So I want to make sure that I'm clear there. Okay. And do they have like a COVID fogging machine in the compit? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't say anything about that. This is, this is what, what they're referencing. The reference point is, and uh, they well, want them to also like, block. They want them to block off the first three rows inside of the airplane for having an area to quarantine people if they need to. 
and this is and i wish i could tell you that this was a joke or a really bad movie but it's not and i will tell you when i share news stories they're vetted i don't i don't turn around and just give you news stories for the sake of giving you news stories well look i'd like to channel my best bob edwards at this point and basically say it's nice to know that covid is going to be at the front of the plane my <laughs> first class not coach and 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 COVID will get the first meal choice um as well and then depending on the plane layout everybody gets to walk through the section too unless it's one of those planes that had split at the very beginning where you kind of come in through section set row seven and then make the turn opposed to turn you know left or right so it's, it's fine yeah, but, but the good thing they'll have those special curtains as well that they can <laughs> And, and just block off the spread of the virus. Well, you know, sadly, we're going to continue to see some more crazy. Well, I mean, it, and it definitely changes the, it changes the aspect of the Mile High Club, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> we're talking about layers of protection. Oh, uh, sorry, couldn't resist. Another, it was too maybe easy. Maybe that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's where it started. Who knows? <laughs> Um, look, we, we, we're still seeing the arguments of where, of where it came from, and uh, it's, it's never going to change. However, I think what's going to happen is that uh, with things like the introduction of vaccine, we're going to see some optimism. We're going to see some optimism. And, and that optimism is going to assist organisations to start to think about moving from responding to a pandemic to actually recovering from a, pan, from a pandemic, because people have been having to live with it. Make sense? They're having no, to... it, it makes sense for sure. Yeah. So I think there's an opportunity here about as we move into that recovery phase, that if we think about what the new normal looks like, why don't we also start to think about what does new safety look like going forward? What does this... So rather than talking about the new view of safety, which I, which I, I love to bits, but... If we, if we can, as part of this process of looking at recovery, start to think of safety as being something that brings value to the organisation and can show the organisation how it can become a learning organisation, then wouldn't that be a whole different environment for us to think about and, and to change that? And I'm like, no, I mean, it, it'll be a totally different world in regards of, of watching that and especially on how people are going to react. The interesting portion is going to be this, especially as we start seeing more and more deployment of the vaccine, at least here in the U.S. is starting to de deploying as of this week. Um, it'll be interesting to see the resistance of some of not wanting it. It'll be interesting to see how people will go about of saying how it's going to be administered. Um, in, the, in the states, they've been talking about, depending on older age demo, they're saying 16 and older is what they're looking at is what they're looking for. But what I'm looking at is when we start talking about in regards of safety programs, if we are still in a place where they're not allowing people back into the facility, let's use that as a hypothetical, what will be that requirement then? Will you have to have some kind of proof that you had the vaccine? Or will it be where you don't, you can still come back, but then you're kind of, we'll say quarantined to an extent, but inside of the office, how does that new safety look? It actually looks how the old safety looks because there are plenty of scenarios, there are plenty of occupations now where you've actually had to have some form of immunization. So down this neck of the woods, um, basically, um, if, if you want to be involved in dealing with, um, you know, plumbing type components, um, people always have hepatitis immunization. 
that's normal. Understandably so. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, and, and it's really no different. No immunization is ever 100%. So, but people can choose to be immunized or not, but that choice means they won't be able to do certain things. So our government announced uh, yesterday that the, uh, the the travel bubble between New Zealand and Australia should be up and running by the end of March. I would say that as the vaccination rolls out, there, there will be a, a COVID-19 card proving you've had a vaccination. That is no different that if you're traveling to certain countries in the world, you have to prove that you've had vaccinations, immunizations for typhoid, malaria. Make sense? Oh, it makes sense, but but I, I will tell you the interesting part of the world is going to be this because there's been just some weird inconsistencies when it comes to some of this stuff on what people are going to think about why do I have to have a card that proves it and so on. And I'm just saying in general, I'm not saying in the world of safety. So let me kind of just be make sure that I'm being very generic and actually blanket statement on this on how some people will look at that. And that will be the amazing part as we go forward because you'll look at it as, hey, this was standard protocol before, but somebody who doesn't have, does not have that knowledge will not look at that in that fashion. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, some organizations, when they have a new safety person, doesn't always mean that it's the person that's the most qualified for the position, it might be somebody who's punished to actually put, be put into that position. So they might not have that knowledge base and they might look at it and go, Oh, you're not, we never required this before. So these are going to be part of the learning curve as we move forward inside of the organizations on how are these things going to be met and what is this, we'll say, quote, unquote, new safety going to look like, but having an understanding of what was there before. Yeah, and, and you know, like everything else, we have to adjust and, and to adapt. I mean, I, I can't wait to be able to travel back to the U.S. and do some face-to-face -face sessions with with you guys oh you know you're dying to go see brent in person too in australia you're waiting for march to give him a big hug oh well and actually well we're <laughs> actually um uh next week the government will start allow us to book travel so that's one of the first things we'll be doing uh, <laughs> and then i'll go there for a week okay <laughs> just just and, but, but coincidentally you do not realize he'll be coming to new zealand at the same time so you still missed each other well, look, well, that, well that, that's that's a time zone issue so we'll, we'll, we'll work that one out we'll, we'll probably meet at the airport um which will, which will be interesting in its own right but you know the point here is um that there is a, there is a new normal now and there will be another new normal there is no returning back to what we had and these things don't go away they simply get suppressed over time and I'm glad that you bring that up because I think that that's, gonna, that's been some of the confusion where people think that we will go back to what the world once was. And I'm glad that you're bringing this up because that's not going to be the case. It will be how do we work around X, it being suppressed. But I think that there is some confusion still out there to the general population that we believe that everything will be, oh, it'll be back to February 2020 and everything was good and grand. Well, um, did things go back to normal at the end of World War II for America or did it become the golden age, the golden era? Was it an era of prosperity from all that misery? 
Right. If we look at our numbers, um, the number of people that have, you know, have died from this um, amounts to, you know, war. So the fact is history has shown us repeatedly that you can't go back. You have to go forward. And, and I like to remind people that there's a reason why when you drive your car, the, uh, the rear view mirror is smaller than, your, than the front windscreen. Because we should be looking ahead, not behind. We, we can learn from the past, but we actually move forward by looking into the future in that way. And I don't know if there was any sense of irony there, Jay, but... <laughs> <laughs> of course there is. Of course there is. I mean, and, that, and, and, that, and that's the great portion about it. And I'm glad that you bring that up because I think that sometimes we tend to forget because we've been locked down or depending on where you're at, you've been locked down for such a long period of time where you go the expectancy is this because we don't know what this new world is going to look like. I mean, we have some ideas, but maybe it's just not the, not the reality that we want to hear. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, uh, we, we've been very fortunate down this neck of the woods that we applied a, an elimination strategy and that we have been given freedoms that few other countries have been able to um, achieve. I, I won't comment about the U S I'll, I'll try to keep it clean. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but the fact is, you know, we, we have a population of about 5 million people. We've had 25 deaths, 25 deaths and about 2,000 infections. Okay. Um, and we have paid the price financially for taking that el elimination strategy by locking the country down. But they decided it's better to lock it down one big time rather than having to lock it down repeatedly, which is now right. what you're seeing in Europe. Is that, you know, Germany and the UK are having to do these big shutdowns, which hurts the economy even more. So, And, th and that's going to be the interesting part in, in other countries as well. I mean, and who knows what will end up happening here in the U.S., but it'll be interesting to see on how these changes roll out because of what people believe and it's the belief system of is there truth to it there is there a lie i mean and we can go into some weird conspiracy theories of course as always with any discussion but it's just going to be amazing on why don't we look at what science has, sh has shown us and what has worked in other places sure and, and it's no different i mean we we still have cases here but those cases are people that have returned from overseas there are some countries where they're still refusing to allow people to enter. So Thailand is a really good example. If you're a Thai citizen, you still can't go back to Thailand. You are stuck wherever you are. You know, we, we, we made the decision very early on to allow people to return to their country because it's their country. And, and as a result, um, you know, that is where the infection rates continue to happen. Um, I, I know cricket's not very popular in, 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 in the US, but at the moment we've got both the, um, the West Indies um, and the Pakistan cricket teams down here at the moment. Now, no, no surprise that expensive players became COVID-19 positive during right. their 14-day stay in isolation. No, no surprise, because that's what we expected in that situation. And that's what so let me so let me ask about that. So you're saying that they allow people back to the country. Yep. Was the was the country taking the cost of the quarantine when they came back? 
at first and then they started charging them or was yes. were they responsible? Okay. Yes. So, so once again, now um, we basically are charging. Um, some of it's still free, some of it's charged. So if you're going to come back and spend less than 90 days here, then you basically have to pay for it. Okay. But what they're charging you um, does not truly relate to what it costs us to do that. Yeah. And so it's example, like a four, it's not a five-star hotel or anything that they're putting them up in for this. Uh, yeah, there's nothing lower than a four-star hotel. No, no one's getting it tough. Um, okay. You get to choose what your meals are. You get, like, like people said, oh, for that money, did we get free Wi-Fi? Um, well, well, the answer is yes, you get, you get Wi-Fi as part of coming back. <laughs> you can have most things delivered to you and we brought to your room. So you can Uber Eats to your heart's content. You just can't Uber Eats a um, hundred cases of, of liquor. Okay. So but why not? That's, that's part of the quarantine process. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard that vodka cures COVID-19. Yeah. But what they're trying to do is, is they're actually more concerned about the person's health and well-being when they're, when they're returning. So mm -hmm. the number of cases of people trying to uh, breach isolation has increased as a result because the change came from people returning from families returning to individuals returning. And, and it's definitely much harder um, going into. So, so we're not talking about, you know, when you come into quarantine, we're not talking about going into um, a cell block, you know, of, of, you know, 10 square feet. We're talking pretty good luxurious. Well, I mean, you know, that that's the assumption automatically. You're going to be in cell block six in isolation by yourself. You know, here, here's the toilet. Here's the actual where you can wash off and that's it. And there's nothing else going on. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the misconceptions. But to show people how tricky this virus has been, we've had two people, um, two uh, either defense or healthcare workers contract COVID-19 at the isolation hotel and then spread it outside. Just shows you how tricky this virus is wow. in, in that way. So for us, it's a numbers game. It's always about a numbers game. So we, we expect these things still to happen. So what we're focused on is how to do quick containment and um, what we call genome sequencing, which is basically working out what version of the virus the person's actually got. So we've just had a case of a uh, New Zealand crew member returning from the US. They've become COVID-19 positive. That, that same day, we're able to basically tell you that the strain of COVID was not a strain in this country. So what happens to the person? Then you isolate them? Well, they go to isolation straight away. But okay. what we're trying to work out is, did the infection come from here or from overseas? Got it. Because that would then determine what our next level of response would be. And, and the thing about the virus, the virus mutates every generation. So the person, say person A versus person Z, same strain, it's going to have different variations. So we're actually using science to actually work out what the strain is. Now, and what are you doing? So what are you doing for the contact tracing piece? How is that actually working? So you're doing that, but are you doing it like via an app? How are you actually being able to do the contact tracing all the way back? Yeah, so, so contact tracing, we're doing two things. Um, one is basically um, scanning QR codes at every facility you go into. 
um, but also this month uh, we've gone uh, for the anonymous um, Bluetooth uh, for the um, uh, for the iPhone and for the Android device. So the iOS supports COVID nineteen tracing. Mm. Uh, the difference here is that we wanted to make sure that that data remains private. Okay. So if I uh, if I've got the app running every time I come within vicinity of another device, it's exchanging its ID. That's being stored on my phone. If I was to somehow contract COVID nineteen, then basically uh, the Ministry of Health, um, I have to decide if I do the alert on my phone, and anyone that came within that facility will get will get the alert. But at the same time, that facility that had the QR code, anyone who scanned into that facility will also get the alert as well. That's the right way to do it. Yes, and. And you can do that if you've been managing numbers. You can't do that when you've reached the, the point of no return, which sadly is what's happened in your neck of the woods. Because now you're focusing on what we call suppression rather than elimination. Right. And I mean, and that was part of what we were talking about prior to actually starting this, is that it's just going to be amazing the on how well we're going to see the, the vaccine work. And if the vaccine doesn't work well, using that as a hypothetical, of course, um, then what are what are we going to do here in the U.S.? Because that'll be the interesting part. Yes, and, and I think what may happen is is you're probably going to maybe see the value of the different types of vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the different types of vaccines um, because they're not all the same. Right. I'm not too keen right now, and I'm probably going to upset my Russian listeners, but I don't know if I'm that keen to try the Russian vaccine. You're just trying to to try the Moderna one, which has a little Spanish flair to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when I read the other day that they and I don't I don't drink, but they basically said you can't drink vodka for forty two days after you've had the vaccine. I'm saying right right around the holidays, which is New Year's is like the biggest holiday in in Russia. I mean, and then Christmas is normally the is on the seventh of January. So how's that going to work? Minus fifteen degrees. (laughs) Cold as hell. Okay. No vodka. No vodka for you. No vodka. And there's a reason why vodka doesn't freeze. <laughs> That's all fine. But um, how, how are you seeing 2021 shaping up, Jay, from, from your perspective at Safety FM? Well, the interesting part is that we're still getting a lot of stuff, but it's still going to the virtual world. Everything that we had booked in 2020 kind of got converted to go to move a year out, which a lot of things did. But now we're getting a lot of we're getting a lot of conversations of of 2021 virtual um, on doing some of the items there. But as from the radio station aspect and for the the network itself, we're still going to push forward with content. I mean, this has kind of advanced a lot of our things at the same time too. Um, I will tell you, if you would have told me a year ago we would have been talking about doing a video platform, I would have said no way. I'm a I'm a I'm a radio guy. We're never going to do video. Well. Haha, ha, tricks on me. Um, and now we're, in, we're inside of the world of what we're calling Safety FM Plus, which is a video on demand streaming service, um, which we have just recently launched at the beginning of, of December, where what we're doing is we're, get, we're giving content to people where they can't, they don't have to go pay these high membership prices to become part of a group. Um, and we wanted to open that up where it would be minimal fee to be able to get in to, to find out stuff from from different people. So that's something that we did. And then the other portion has been just really trying to get new radio shows and podcast people's direction. Um, 
I think right now as we speak, we're up to 19 in total, and we're just trying to give you safety from different points of views, opposed to it just being, it's only behavior-based safety or it's only hop. We wanted to make sure that people could hear just different voices. Um, and we've, we've reached out to some people. We've had people reach out to us in regards of coming onto the network. And we just want to make sure that it's fluent and it's what people want to hear. Now, there are some shows that people don't love. And so they're no longer here or they have kind of just moved out, moved on on their own, which, which is understandable. And what we try to do at the end of the day is make sure that we're helping people by, you know, providing them content. That's really just what it boils down to. Because a lot of people are always looking for content. They just don't, want, just don't know where to go. And I figured if we could just do a one-stop free, we've always wanted to keep the radio station free and the podcast network. As long as I'm involved, that's how we're going to keep it. Yep. Um, the video thing, it, we couldn't do it in that fashion just because of the server. But everything else with the radio station will always be free to, to the end user. Okay, and that's great. And, and I think um, this whole concept of what we call blended learning that people can learn lots of different ways is really useful. Um, if I had said to you a year ago, uh, could you run a learning team remotely? I, I would have said, no, I don't think it's possible. Okay. Um, the fact is that probably over half the learning teams we run now are done remotely. However, what it has shown is that that, that really works well based on the competency and the skill set of the facilitator. Absolutely. And, and that's why uh, understanding what that is, what that means is becoming so important. And I think what's happened is that a lot of people have learned on the way. And that's not necessarily good learning because learning has to be deliberate. Because a lot of learning that happens at the moment is an, is an incidental learning, as we call it. So it's happening because of. Well, the problem is that type of learning doesn't become embedded over time. So I've still got people saying to me that they won't do things because they're waiting for the face-to-face -face sessions to happen. I think they're going to be waiting for a little bit longer than what they expect. They are. They are. And and even um, when I was talking to Todd just recently, I sort of you know reminded him that that when this first happened, I said to him, you know, we we won't be coming back till twenty twenty two. And I think that's about right. Right. But I'll have my COVID-19 card. I'll be ready. We'll be coming there. And it's going to be quite interesting because uh, things like air travel is probably going to be quite expensive. Oh, especially with, all, with everything that's been done and how that's actually hit that particular market. It'll be interesting to see. I will tell you, where I live, I live in Orlando, which is kind of the theme park capital of the world. They have, there is a pretty large safety organization that has booked an event for March of this year. Wow. And they're expecting thousands of people. I'm still waiting to see on when that cancellation is going to come out. They still have not, the funny part is that they're already, you're available to look online and all that kind of fun stuff. But I'm trying to figure out what are they going to be able to do? And they're, pu they're putting it at the house of the mouse. Um, this is where this event's going to occur at one of the hotels there. And I'm just trying to figure out how they're going to be able to pull this off with everything going on. We'll see, because I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm saying 2022 before we start seeing a lot of stuff of in-person events. Yeah, um, maybe they've got a whole lot of Perspex cubicles. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure, especially because they're, uh, they're a well-known brand 
and they're of course at the house of the mouse. Well, maybe the first three rows have been allocated for. <laughs> and depends, or adult diapers will be passed out. Having to double bluff here. <laughs> Who knows? Look, it, it, it'll it'll be interesting. But you know, I, I do have to acknowledge that um, there are elements of face to face that you can't replicate in the online world. Absolutely. So there's no doubt. There's there's no doubt. But those things aren't insurmountable at the end of the day. And, and particularly, we're seeing that um, you know coaching and mentoring um, can absolutely be done in a remote environment, not a problem whatsoever. Uh, because having that rich conversation can still happen regardless. Absolutely. And we've, we've all seen how technology is, is improving. Um, I, I think you know, over here, a lot of people talk about the, you know, the Zoom syndrome, everyone's Zoomed out. And, and we've seen how other technology has really sort of evolved mm-hmm. at the same time. I would never have said to you um, a year ago that I would be using Zoom as a way of um, capturing basic recordings. Me either. I mean, I will tell you, I have a love-hate relationship with Zoom. I just look at it and I go, I'm just amazed on the timing on how everything has happened. And now everybody pretty much has a camera and everybody does a version of a recording similar um in regards to getting content out there and i mean if you take a look at it a lot of the tech people say we've advanced 10 years in such a short period of time in regards of what we've done inside of the in in the internet or the interwebs of the world in regards of how we're doing communication and how things have advanced and i can see that because you would you would have said this a year ago that everybody would be with this technology at home. And yes, we all had cameras on our computers and so on, but it would be to the way that it is right now. I wouldn't have believed it. No, I mean, I'm streaming to you at the moment, you know, 4K. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but we've got a, I'm running a soft filter on my 4K camera to emulate having to wear foundation. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's, that's where I get my fake tan. It's, yeah, it's the color yeah, of the light. I, I, I found mm-hmm. a very special store that, that sold these filters that they said there's been no demand since the 80s. <laughs> or this wood paneling that's over here on the wall now. <laughs> yeah, but, but 4K is, is really harsh on you. Mm-hmm. But, but listeners have an expectation of quality. They, they, right. want, to, they want to see something. Um, and, you know, over the summer break, um, sorry, over the holiday season, as would say, <laughs> for us it's summer break, um, I'm... Uh, uh, moving into my uh, new studio and um it reminds me of a hollywood set of green screen yeah yeah and and i'm i'm out to outdo todd because i'm putting in a video wall Uh (laughs) uh-oh yeah not one screen but four (laughs) very nice very nice yeah no and, and that's and that's the interesting part Somebody probably would have told you that a year, two years ago, three years ago, that you would have essentially a studio. You would have probably been probably more than likely not happening. But this is how this technology has changed. The great thing about it is that you could really get some good production quality stuff being at home, home office, whatever you want, wherever you're located, and really get something out there as long as you have good equipment. Now there is the equipment where people want to do the Zoom call where it's, I have my computer, I'm just doing a recording. That's available too. But you can do, you can do some pretty high end stuff just messing around with some of these things. I mean, I will tell you, the, it's not expensive to make it look pretty. No, it's not. It's not. And look, when we were going through our first lockdown, when I was 
um, getting my gear, I was actually having to compete with churches trying to buy the same gear. <laughs> um, um, services make sense because they've all gone online. Hmm. I, I, I just thought you were trying to tell me you're starting to run a church, but I, I mean, I'll take no, it no, either no. way. Well, <laughs> and, and once again, um, if I do, Jay, um, uh, the Amvanc Church of Learning Teams, there'll be a very special set of robes. Okay. So, sounds like fun. We'll have um, high-vis on them. And we'll be in safety colors at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure whether Todd's keen mm-hmm. to be called an, an archbishop or not, but we can come up with some different names. Yeah, maybe you can call him a vanguard. We'll yeah. just go from there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we can bring in Ron Hubbard as well. There's all sorts of things that can happen. <laughs> but, but ultimately, um, I don't want to reflect on 2020. I'm really interested in sort of thinking, looking ahead about 2021 about what does that recovery look like for organizations. And it's interesting because the people that are in safety, um, just as COVID-19 came as a surprise, from a response point of view, recovery is also going to come as a surprise. Right. Because what does recovery actually look like? And that's going to require um, different types of skills. And we think learning teams has a huge opportunity to participate in that process as well. Because what we've found is that learning teams really allows and creates that uh, what we call psychological safety space for workers. They we really, were in sync because that's exactly what yeah, I was just about to tell you. That's going to be really, the that's going to really be the big feel portion. Like they're part of it. They really do feel that they're part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as we go through this recovery process, um, having that tighter connection between the organization and workers, the people who are exposed to the risk or, or are part of the risk, is going to become really important to them. Mm-hmm. So my prediction um, for listeners for 2021 is that this concept of learning organizations has become more common and mainstream. And, and just the other day, I, I saw someone do a post and they had taken our tagline um, of learn and improve and claimed it as their own. And, and, and I love the fact that they're, that they're doing that. Isn't it so catchy? Learn, learn to improve. I just I just love it. It's it's I mean, and that's what I find funny. I don't mind if people take the stuff, but at least give credit where credit's due. Sure. <laughs> Let's hope. And, and, you know, I want more people to write more bodies of work. I, I still see there's a complete shortage. Um, and, and, and that's because it takes a lot more. Like producing a podcast is actually really simple. Mm, absolutely. If you were to take that podcast and then try and write that into something, mm. it would be take 10 times that effort. Okay. And that's what, that's why I always tell people if you do if you're going to do these deep dives, and you do the proper research when you're writing something, it's a lot harder than just penny, putting a pen to a paper and saying this is it. If you do true research, where you're vetting the information, going after where you're getting part of the of the work, and going into the exact info opposed to it just being, well, I think, I think, I think, I did a Google search. Now we're really talking about a length of time because there's a lot of people that are authors that are out there. They're not authors. They wrote something and I don't, I don't even think that it would qualify even as a white paper. 
No. Uh, so I would say that for all those people that have come into this podcasting world and want to be evangelical, want to be seen as a, a leader in a particular space, um, write a book. Yeah. See, book. The, the, the thing that you mentioned the book thing, and it's kind of funny because, of course, I've spoken to Todd several times and he references all the time that I should write a book. But I've seen what he's done with others where he goes, write a book, but then it becomes three. So I've been very hesitant about doing anything with it. And he's like, oh, I'll even write the Ford. I'm like, mm -mm, mm -mm. I'm good. I'm good. So. Exactly. But the, the, the thing here is um, publishing a body of work um, stands a test of time as well. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to be interested, in, and, and I think we, we, we spoke in a previous episode that because we wrote the book as a learning team, one of the biggest issues we faced was actually going back and changing the book. There was this, this desire that as we learnt more, we wanted to go back and fix what we'd done, and, and it was right. starting to get out of control. <laughs> then it's like, why do I have so much information now? That's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we also, like, then you, you want to make things that are digestible for people as well. So so I'm excited uh, about what 2021 brings and that. And we want to bring more to the audience and to people the how-to around learning teams. That's our promise and commitment going forward, is that we want to break down these barriers that you don't have to be an expert we really want people to basically um, use learning teams uh, to learn and improve and evolve learning teams as, as it goes. And I'm really keen to try and cross this divide between safety one and safety two. Because at the end of the day, you, you, you could be running, a, running an organization as a complete dictatorship and the workers would still find value in running a learning team. Absolutely. So I, I'm not looking for this um, mode of perfection that, that people talk about the whole time, about the next big thing. So just we don't want to go back to those core principles. And, and the challenge will be, uh, and this year in particular, we want to put a lot of focus on this whole notion of when is safety valuable? And if safety isn't bringing value, and just make it clear, compliance can still be valuable. But compliance um, should be done to benefit people, not be done to force people, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. So, but that's the messaging that people need to hear that sometimes sits, that write some of these platforms out, that they need to have an understanding on why compliance is made and not just for the sake of ha having a book to fill. Yeah. Like for, for, for me, an example is with a piece of machinery. Um, Having that emergency stop is a compliant thing. But I really want workers to basically know, A, that e-stop is functioning, and B, they understand what's the purpose of the e-stop. Because the fact is, the only time they're ever going to need to use it is when something goes wrong. And the e-stop is not there to prevent the event from occurring. The e-stop there is to simply try to reduce the consequence of the event. So the fact is that if that machine um, doesn't fail a thousand times or ten thousand times, um, we want people to still know and understand what's that purpose of it, because you know that e-stop is going to save your life at some point. 
Uh, and that's the messaging and that's the messaging that needs to get out there more and more absolutely and, and you know i'm a big fan of safety by design you know we, we if we design things out of of the need to have a system then that's much better the moment we can't design things out then we have to put systems on top that creates a whole different environment in that way and, and i and I, I try to avoid this whole conversation about zero harm because at the end of the day, if a machine is a sticky, if it can cause a life-changing event, it's a question of when, not if that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, just mentioning the zero harm thing, it always becomes that strange thing of the moment something goes wrong, does the whole program stop? Because now you've already messed it up. Well, and what does that say from a psychological safety perspective? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's no different. Um, you know, organizations that have made this claim that, that their people are their greatest asset. Uh, COVID-19 has proven that they're not. People, COVID-19 has proven that organizations, people are a disposable asset. Very true. Yeah. So, you know, when will there be that backlash? That's going to be the next thing. The learning team of what we learned from COVID-19. That'll be the interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. So look, um, yeah, uh, and this whole issue of um, whatever's happened is going to have a knock-on effect for quite some period of time. And I believe that providing people with that sense of psychological safety is actually really, really important going forward. Because what they've had to endure, what they've had to be exposed to, what they've had to experience is a one in a lifetime. And I'm sure we're going to see some new definitions of, uh, you know, PTSD and these other types of things as the effect of all these things start to come through and into our sort of life moving forward. I mean, and that's not even putting into effect that we didn't even touch on it in regards to the suicide rates going up during this time. And just seeing seeing the different outcomes because people not being able to manage what is going on, and understandably so. I mean, there's just it's a strange time. Um, but when you're trying to see the separation rates, um, um, here we're gearing up for a massive increase in births. <laughs> well, that, I guess that's a good that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we, we we had a lockdown for um, I think it was about a six week period. So, you know, that was in April. So April plus nine months, we're coming up to a, to a, to a crop coming. So through. what, do the TVs and the internet go down? I mean, don't answer that. Don't answer that. Well, no, no, no. Safety in numbers. The, the idea you're you're not making an announcement on your own show, are you? You're not, you're not saying there's another one, another one in the oven or anything, oh, are you? No, no, the, no I, 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 I got vaccinated quite some time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I avoid that. But look, um, and undoubtedly, um, you know, these both the positive component and the negative components are still yet to be seen about what that is. So for every upside, there's going to be some downside. But the point here is organizations should think about using learning teams as a way to help normalize that and a way of supporting people to create that sense of psychological safety. And if people can, um, you know, focus on what they do and what they do well, 
that's really going to help them through this at the same time. Because work was one of those real dependencies that people had. And this whole thing of remote working, um, for some people worked well, for other people it was horrible right. in, in that space. I, did, I didn't particularly enjoy it that much because I like to have a bit of structure and discipline in some of my daily activities. So these long, prolonged periods of lockdown really, really affected that. So I understand. But I pale in comparison to what other countries have had to go through. So I take yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I look at what you're saying, and it's, it's interesting because I'm accustomed to being on a plane weekly or every other week, and all of a sudden not being on a plane since probably mid-February yeah. has been quite interesting. Because I will tell you, the last trip I was on the verge of taking, I was driving to the airport, and the people call me and say, don't come, we're not letting anybody into our facility. And I was like, what? I mean, and I'm literally, uh, I'm at the exit at the airport. I mean, that is how close I am. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm turning back. Wow. Look, I, I, was, I, I flew for the first time a couple of months ago, and it was actually felt quite surreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, actually, and, and seeing the planes um, on the tarmac wrapped in blue blue wrapping to protect the engines, yeah, absolutely. It's quite quite surreal. No, it, it's interesting because you get so accustomed to being on a plane all the time that it loses its novelty. And then all of a sudden now when you haven't done it for such a long period of time and then now when you go back and it's to, a totally different experience, not the flight for so much per se, but the things that have to take place to you get to get into it, it's a world. Of, I would imagine it's a world of difference. I mean, I will tell you to this day, I still haven't. I haven't been on a plane in over nine months at this point. Wow. Now, look, I, 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 I absolutely agree. Um, I'm looking forward to my first um, travel back to Australia to catch up with, with people. Um, but you know, it's probably going to be another year before we get to do a decent flight up to the US. It's just the reality of what we're going to face. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. normal. And who knows what it looks like? I mean, the airlines down here are talking about changing, um, you know, plane layouts where they can. Because, you know, uh, people are going to be wanting a better class of travel as a result. So for those... Be in, in individual pods. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, a lot more focus around, around that side of things. Absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, maybe um, we call it um, cattle class down here. <laughs> but, you know, the idea of being jammed and together might, might change mm-hmm. in that way. So it'll be really interesting. So, Jay, look, thank you for participating today for our special episode that goes to air on the 23rd of December. And um, while I'm here at Santa's Grotto, I'm, I'm gonna, I've, I've slipped the old little item into my little bag. So I know that there's something already been the post to you and Todd um, to spread that Christmas cheer from down the centre of the world and, and hopefully just give it a good wipe down when it arrives. Um, <laughs> it's triple sealed, so no COVID can get through into that packaging. I'm starting to get worried now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'd like to wish you uh, a, a very best during this holiday season and thank you for the opportunity and I look forward to some more fascinating episodes of the Practice Learning Teams in 2021. Thanks for having me on and happy holidays. All right, thank you. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. 
go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.